again and pray and ask for God's help. Loving God, we thank you again for this privilege that you've given to us of meeting around your word. And God, we again ask that you would um, take your word and speak to us as we've asked for our children, so we ask for ourselves that you would take your word and plant it deep within our hearts. Cause us again to catch hold of who you are and to leave from here being changed by your word. Please work, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible there, please open with me to Nehemiah chapter 11. Nehemiah chapter 11. Suzanne finished there about chapter 8. I was hoping she was going to keep going and work through all those names for me, but she didn't. Um, Nehemiah chapter 11. We're going to read a Bible text just in a little bit, um, but it will be helpful for you for now just to keep your Bibles open and just uh, try at the start just to help us um, break these chapters up. Um, with these various lists of names and, and so forth. But it will be helpful just to keep your Bibles open for now, and we will read some of the text in, in a little bit. Just during the week, um, Sarah and I got chatting about family trees, and from there we began to make connections between different people that we knew. Of course, people from Northern Ireland, we love making connections, we love working out common friends. And we love to see names that we recognize. Before Neil and Amy's wedding, I was looking through the marriage records from Craigavon Baptist. And I was looking through trying to find names that I recognize. And I did find some names I recognize connected to families here. And it's always nice to see those names and to feel that familiarity. But chapter 11 of Nehemiah in the first chapter, or the first half of chapter 12, uh, we have lists of names. And as you look through those names, they may not mean a lot to you, but those reading the names at, at near the time would bring various emotions as they would see family names that they knew and were familiar with. I could say to you the name Jonathan Wilson or the name Anne Highlands. And, well, there's perhaps a chance you know those names because we live in Northern Ireland, but probably those names don't mean much more to you than the names that we have here in Nehemiah 11 and 12. But to me, those names mean something. One is a faithful Sunday school teacher who took time week after week to plan and to prepare and teach me the truths of Scripture. Uh, another name is a faithful friend who, who came alongside and cared for and loved me and, and helped me to see scriptural truth in a difficult time. Uh, and as I can recall names of, of people I know, those who have served me, I'm then reminded of how good God has been, how he has ministered to me at different times through different people. And the names we have here in Nehemiah 11 and 12, they, they, they serve a similar purpose. God's people would be able to look 
and to remember the goodness of God, ministering to his people, sustaining his people at different times through the gifts of different people. You will notice in this chapter from verse 1 and 18 that Jerusalem is called the Holy City. And at this time, of course, Jerusalem was God's special place, the place where he would meet with his people and where his people would gather to worship and to serve him. You may remember from Jeremiah that God promised after his people would spend 70 years in exile in Babylon that he would bring them back to the place where he had sent them from. And that really is what is happening here. We see here that God has not forsaken his people. But as the prophet Jeremiah said, God's plan is to give his people a hope and a future. And as we have gone through Ezra and Nehemiah these past two years, we have followed God's people on the journey back to Jerusalem, the holy city. But at this point that we come in today, at the beginning of chapter 11, only the leaders of the people are living in Jerusalem. And the leaders alone are not enough to fulfill God's purpose. Many more of God's people, they need to come to resettle in Jerusalem in in order, firstly, to run the temple, in order to have adequate defense against enemies, But more than that, to be the people they have been called to be. A holy nation, a kingdom of priests, a light to the nations. We we know that that so much effort has went into building the wall. But if the wall is there with no one inside, it becomes a bit like a good room. Do you know what a good room is? I, I... When I grew up, we had a good room at home. It's basically having an extra living room that you're not allowed to go into. And so it doesn't really serve any purpose. And it's the same here. If Jerusalem is not repopulated again, then the wall is really going to serve no purpose. And wouldn't that be such a shame? So we see verse 1 of chapter 11. There were leaders who lived in Jerusalem... And then the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city. If you look at verse 2, you'll see there were men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Now it's possible those are the same men of verse 1. And so if that's the case, what we're seeing is that the lot fell to the people and then they willingly came to resettle in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You see, many people had had settled in in areas outside Jerusalem, in more rural areas. And at this time, there really wasn't much appealing about Jerusalem to bring them back. But yet men were willing to sacrifice comfort and family so that the work of God could continue. And what we have then in the rest of chapter 11 it begins a list of names. And those names tell us the people who willingly moved to resettle in Jerusalem. 
you're interested, you can take some time at home and you will see the same um, names listed in First Chronicles 9. But what I want to do just now is just point out how chapter 11 and the first half of chapter 12 is divided up and hopefully that might make it a little easier for you as you go home and perhaps try to read through these names again. So look with me, verse 3, we'll try to follow this through very briefly. Verse 3, there are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem, just simply leaders over particular areas. And it was also told in verse 3, there were leaders and others who lived outside the city. Then verse 4, we begin the list of names of those who moved to resettle within the city. So verses 4 to 6, we have the sons of Judah. So those who resettled from the tribe of Judah. From verse 7 to 9, um, those who resettled from the tribe of Benjamin. Then from verses 10 to 14, we have the priests who resettled. From verses 15 to 18, and we have the Levites, and you can see the various roles there that they took on. Verse 19, we see the gatekeepers, those who were in charge of security. Then verses 20 and 21 just acknowledges those who lived outside the city, but even with that, they're still returning to what was their land originally given by God. In verses 22 to 24, we see that the Levites are working under the king and simply carrying out their daily responsibilities. Now, we said at the beginning of chapter 11, um, we saw there those who resettled in Jerusalem from Judah and Benjamin. From verses 25 to 30, we have a list then of the people of Judah who settled outside and outside villages And from verses 31 to 36, we have a list of the people of Benjamin also who settled in outside villages. So that's the kind of divisions of those groups of people. Now those lists of names of God's people, what I want us really to take away from from those is that those people, they knew who they were, the people of God, a holy nation, They knew where they were to be, and they knew what they were to do. So let's just think about that a little bit, going back over those verses. We saw at the beginning of chapter 11, we're told that there was those who just simply lived in Jerusalem. They were faithful, committed over time. Perhaps your role here in in Craigavon is is simply to be here and be committed. You're here every Sunday, every Thursday, every Sunday evening, and you'll be engaging. Don't undermine the encouragement that that is to many people, just to simply be here and be committed. We see then there were those, verse 12, who, who worked in the temple. So those who had specific tasks and roles so that people were able to offer worship. And again, of course, there are various tasks and roles here that people undertake each Sunday to allow us to meet just like this and to offer worship. 
Verse 16 then, there were those who were over the outside work of the house. Now this was going to include some kind of general maintenance. The work that is largely unseen and unrecognized. Doing jobs that people only really notice when they're not done. So we come here on a Sunday morning. We drive our cars over a path that someone has weeded at some point. We walk up steps that have been brushed. And we walk through doors with nice clean glass that someone has cleaned. And often we don't notice because it has been done. Verse 17, there were those who helped with singing and and leading prayers. And of course, again, we have similar kinds of roles to that today. But you can see there there are many different roles. Everyone is doing their bit. They know who they are. They know where they ought to be, and they know what they are doing. And we just picture of just everyone is just content getting on with it. There's no big song and dance about it. Everyone doing their bit to facilitate the worship of God. I wonder if you were asked, um, well, who are you and what is your role here? Do, do you know that? Could you answer that and if you feel you're not able to answer that come and chat to us we would love to talk to you and help you think about that a little bit more and for for many of you who are just simply getting on with it doing your thing lots of those roles that we mentioned serving us all some of it we see some of it we don't Please be encouraged this morning that the Lord sees your service. Listen to what God says in Hebrews 6. God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Thank you for what you do. Continue doing what you are doing. And may you know and the Lord's blessing as you do that. So we move into chapter 12, and the first half there, it recalls names from earlier generations. And again, we've, we've seen lists of these before, recalling the earlier generations. So in chapter 12, from verses 1 to 11, we have a list of the priests and Levites, those who came up from Babylon with Zerubbabel almost a century earlier. Then from verses 12 to 20, um, we see the next generation in the days of Jehoiakim. That's the son of Zerubbabel. Then from verses 22, in the days of Eliashib, and that was the high, he was the high priest when Nehemiah first returned. And we also see in verse 22, there's now a new king, Darius. You may remember that Nehemiah had originally granted permission from Artaxerxes. But you see, just going through the generations, time is moving on. In verse 23, there are other names we are told listed in the book of the Chronicles. Now, that's not first and second Chronicles that we have in the Bible. It's a book of records that probably was kept in, in some kind of temple archives. And in verse 24, you may notice those are the Levites who signed the covenant agreement 
in chapter 10. Now, as I've said, we've seen these lists of earlier generations before in Nehemiah. And each time they appear, it's always to show us continuity and consistency through the generations of God's people. And you know, that's something that always should be the same. It should be the same today. There should be continuity and consistency through generations within the local church. So if I was to leave today and, and return in 30 or 40 years, my hope for you would be that you would be doing exactly the same thing. Meeting together just like this, to sing, to pray, to hear from God's word, and then going out from here on Sundays to tell others the good news of what God has done in Christ. We should always be wary of of brand new ideas or brand new ways of, of doing church. God has sustained and grown his church through the same means for over 2,000 years. And surely it's more than a little arrogant to suggest that we have some better or new way of doing it. Now we, we want to repeat what previous generations have done before us, and in doing that, to set a pattern and example for future generations. Well, that brings us up to the dedication of the wall. So I'm going to take some time now and read this section before we think about it any further. So let's read together from chapter 12, verse 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings and with singing, with cymbals, harps and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Natopathites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmapheth, where the singers have built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I, so we're now back to Nehemiah speaking in first person. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gates, and after them went Hotiah and half of the leaders of Judah. And Azariah, Ezra, Meshalem, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priests' sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zachor, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Ezrael, Melali, Gilali, Mei, Nathanael, Judah, and Hananiah, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went 
before them. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall, above the house of David, to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim and by the gate of Yeshana and by the fish gate and the tower of Hananel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gates. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God. And I and half of the officials with me. And the priests Eliakim, Messiah, Meniamin, Micaiah, Eloani, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Messiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzai, Jehohanan, Melchijah, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with Jedrahiah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes, to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification as to the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Esaph, there were directors of the singers and there were songs of praise and thanksgivings to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. And they set apart that which was for the Levites. And the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. So we come to this dedicating of the wall. It seems God's people have always loved the good service of dedicating something. But I want you to note that the dedication of the wall does not come directly after the completion of the wall. You may remember the wall was completed um, at the beginning of chapter 7. And then chapter 8, we had the reading and the teaching of God's word. Chapter 9 then, as God's word exposed the people's hearts, they stood up and had that time of confessing their sins. And that was followed by chapter 10, a signed covenant making their commitment again to be the people of God, to be obedient to God. And I believe it's appropriate that the dedication of the wall comes now. People are able to come together now with a right heart and a right focus. 
And the climax of this service of dedication really comes in verse 43. Look at that with me just now. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. We see on this day there was great sacrificing and there was joy. The rest of our time this morning, I want us to think about that joyful sacrificing. So think about three sacrifices. I want us to see that the people sacrificed spiritually, then they sacrificed financially, and then they sacrificed the praise of man for the praise of God. So firstly, they sacrificed spiritually. We see that in verse 30. The priests and the Levites purified themselves and they purified the people and the walls and the gates. The the people knew that that they needed to, to clean or purify themselves before approaching God in worship. And there are lots of details outlining how this should be done through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. But we saw last week the people knew their sin. And so they knew there needed to be sacrifice for sin before approaching God. And of course the same is true today. We cannot come together and worship just like this unless sacrifice has been made for our sin. And all those sacrifices that are outlined in the Old Testament as a means of paying for sin, they were all a pointer to a greater, ultimate, once-for-all sacrifice that would come in Jesus Christ. Remember in the psalmist um, in Psalm 24 and says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? And the answer comes, it is he who has clean hands and a pure heart. But Jesus Christ alone is is pure, is clean before God. And yet it was Jesus Christ who was sacrificed on the cross for our sin, our uncleanness, our impurity. And so we always need to be reminded of the truth that we enter God's presence, we offer God worship through Jesus Christ alone. Music does not bring us into the presence of God. Worship leaders do not bring us into the presence of God. Men who hold office in the church do not bring us into the presence of God. We come into the presence of God through the pure life and the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Spiritual sacrifice. Secondly, the people sacrifice financially. We see this in verses um, 44 to 47. Verse 44, um, there were men appointed to gather tithes from the people of God, Um, to support the work of the priests and Levites, that is, those who were called by God to work in the temple. 
And I want us to know two brief things from this. First thing to note in verse 47, the people set apart an amount to be given regularly to support the work of the temple. And the second thing, verse 45, they rejoice over the priests and Levites who ministered. In other words, they sacrificed their finances gladly. And we come to the New Testament, and Paul lays out those very same principles for us. The first we get from 1 Corinthians 16. Paul says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, So it seems the church there had asked Paul about this whole area of giving and how that was to be done in the local church. And Paul gives him the answer, verse 2. He says, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So he's saying each person should decide how much they will give in relation to their income And they should give regularly. So they're not waiting for a big event. They're not waiting for a big plea. There's just ongoing regular giving. And it's great today with online giving. This makes it very easy for us. And I will say if you're not signed up online here, it's such an easy and accessible way to be able to give regularly to the local church. Iris would be so glad to speak to you about that. She actually gave me a tenner to say that. But no, she didn't really. <laughs> but it's, it's a great way to be able to do that. But that's the first principle. We should give regularly. The second principle we see then in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. <clears throat> and Paul says this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, and not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So in other words, we give gladly to support faithful word ministry. If you give to Kergavan Baptist, that is what you're giving to. You're giving to word ministry in here among God's people and word ministry out there among those who are not God's people. There's so many things, of course, we can, can give our money to. Many, many good things. But we come back to chapter 8, don't we? Our priority as God's people is word ministry in here and out there. And so our priority in finances is to support that work. The people sacrificed financially. Thirdly then, the people sacrificed the praise of men for the praise of God. There is an emphasis in chapter 12 on on thanksgiving to God or or confession, that word can also mean. In other words, acknowledging who God is and what God has done. You see at verse 24, um, the Levite singers were to praise and give thanks. Um, Verse 27, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, um, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. Also, verse 31, Nehemiah brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. 
Now, the first choir we see in verses 32 to 37, they were led off by Ezra. The second choir who gave thanks, verse 38, Nehemiah followed in behind. And we see through there, one choir walked in one direction, the other choir went in another direction, and they met together then in the house of God, verse 40, to give thanks. And as the people are engaged in thanksgiving, they they really resemble God's people in Psalm 48. That's the psalm we read at the beginning of our service. And in Psalm 48, the people are together and they're giving thanks for victory won against a king of Assyria. And listen to what they say in verses 12 to 14 of Psalm 48. They say, walk about Sion, go around her. So in other words, walk around the city. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels. That you may tell the next generation that this is God. Our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. As they have fought, as they have won victory, they give thanks and they draw all attention to God. To who God is and to what God has that's what's happening here in Nehemiah. I'm sure many of us have been to some opening of some building or the commencement or completion of some event and there's been too many speeches, too many presentations, too many words of thanks and so on and so forth. But there's none of that here. No words of thanksgiving or presentations made to Nehemiah. And let's be honest, they wouldn't be at this point without him. But what's happening here is praise and thanks to God for who God is and what God has done for his people. Remember all those various roles that we talked about that we can all take up within the church? We fulfill those roles and then what do we do? We give thanks and praise to God for who he is and what he is doing. As we conclude this morning, Notice with me the impact of this praise and thanksgiving. We see it at the end of verse 43. The joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Now there's a real contrast here from Ezra 3, and I don't expect you to remember way back there. But in Ezra 3, the people shouted with a great shout as the foundation of the temple was laid. But at that time, there were also people who were weeping because they didn't like the look of the temple compared to the first one. So there was this shout of joy. There was weeping and mourning. And the people around, they couldn't distinguish between the joyful shouts and the weeping. Here in Nehemiah 12, there is no denying these people are having a good time. Perhaps you've you've been in a city um, where concert is happening and and the noise of the concert kind of booms across the city and and, you know it just sounds like they're having such a good time it just makes you want to be there or perhaps you you walk past a house and, and there's a party and there's just loads of laughter and you just know they're having a good time the joy of the Lord's people could be heard 
And I pray that the noise that goes out from here is one of joy. As people see, as people hear how we worship, as they see how we work and serve, that they will think, my, those people, they're having a good time. I want to be in on that. And as people perhaps know us a little better, and they see that we gladly sacrifice our finances, we gladly divert attention away from ourselves, that then they would see there is something of real worth. And that we would then be able to point them to God who alone is worthy of praise and worthy of thanksgiving. Let us pray together. Loving God, we we thank you for your word to our hearts again. We thank you for Jesus Christ who's made it possible um, for us to be here through his pure, clean life and his sacrificial death on our behalf. God, we ask that you would indeed give us joy and thanksgiving in our worship. We ask that you would give us joy as we sacrifice our finances that your work may continue. We pray that we would gladly draw attention away from ourselves. We pray that we would have great joy in serving you in many varied ways. Father, as we continue to think on these things, challenge us where we need challenge and encourage us to continue where we need that encouragement. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.